0: Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church Podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Exodus. Enjoy the message. Well, the commandment number nine is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or, more simply put, you shall not lie. And really, that's the big idea. That's the kind of main point of verse 16, that honesty really is the best policy. Now, when this commandment was given, we must not forget that God has now gathered this people, this freshly rescued, freshly redeemed people out of Egypt. We must not lose sight of that because as we slow down and taking our time to go through each of these commandments, we could forget the larger context. And he's gathered this people to shape them as a holy nation before they go into the land of Canaan. And so this particular commandment is a communal commandment that is Very important to their civil society, to how they're going to live as a holy nation. And this commandment was to um, shape and form the law courts within the life of Israel. It was to be an intricate part of their civil justice system. Meaning this, that any and all disputes that would come in the years to follow... As a community, they should settle these disputes within a particular framework. And that framework was a framework of witnesses, two or three witnesses who must tell the truth. And so if you have a dispute or if you have a problem with someone, it's it's important that you speak the truth. Now, that should be so obvious for us. But it wasn't so obvious for them. Remember, they're going into pagan nations. They're going into territories where there is a different value system and a different moral ethic. Now, part of the reason why bearing false witness was prohibited was because this could really result in damage. It could literally destroy someone's life. If you have a false witness against you, you could be served with an unjust judgment or receive unjust punishment, which could even lead to death. And so lying, a false witness, was devastating not only to individuals, but to the entire community. And so this was more than just a right versus wrong argument. This was about the abuse of truth that could seriously damage people's lives. What else is interesting here is that this ninth commandment in verse 16, the language of it is very close to the language we find in verse 7, which is the third commandment. In the third commandment, God is seeking his people to not take his name in vain. The point here is the protection of God's reputation. And so likewise, the ninth commandment, we as a people are to protect one another's reputation, our neighbor's reputation by being truth tellers. We are to speak the truth. And so there's the prohibition. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Then there's the positive side of it. And the positive side of the commandment is uphold truth, defend truth. We need to see truth as sacred. Now, I know you don't need any convincing, That we live in a very confused and a very morally messed up world today. Let me just give you some examples. I read a, a, there was a published article in the April of 1990, and the article was titled The Truth About Lying. And that in itself is interesting The Truth About Lying. And the article went on to argue that child psychologists are now saying, That when a child is young, if he can develop the ability to lie, then that is a very important part of their self-development. And so the article was arguing that we've moved from the old view to the new view. The old view was that children, when growing up, were taught that all lying was wrong. And that if you did lie, it could be a dangerous thing because your nose could grow long like Pinocchio's. Remember the story? Well, that's the old view. They are now saying that we should parent in a way in light of the new view. And the new view is that some lying is considerably important. Certain forms of lying are important as a part of a child's development as an important step in their growth. Yes, it's messed up, right? Another thing I had a quick look at was I did a quick Google search of, uh, of songs, hit songs uh, throughout kind of our history, maybe back from the 60s through to now modern day, present day, uh, songs that contained the theme of lying, and I was shocked at how many songs have been written about lying. And in fact, it provided a very sad insight. Here's just a couple. And obviously, I can't name them all. But I'll start off with Bob Dylan in 1964. uh, His hit song, I Don't Believe You, uh, or subtitled, She Acts Like We've Never Met. Now, I personally had never heard the song. But uh, the commentaries on this particular song were that it's a very melodious complaint with bitterness literally dripping from his voice. And obviously, he has a grievance. Uh, which is why he says, I don't believe you. And he's feeling like he's the victim of someone who's lied to him. Then we've got Queen, the big band Queen in 1973, uh, their hit song, Liar. I don't know anything about the song other than people are saying that they felt abused after listening to it because Freddie Mercury couldn't stop shouting, liar, liar, liar. Obviously, he's uh, also a little bitter about a particular situation. Then we've got the Rolling Stones in 1978. There hit song called Lies, and in the, in the uh, chorus we hear this, Lies, lies, you dirty Jezebel, he says. He even quotes scripture in a sense. Again, he is offended and flabbergasted at lies. Then we've got the Eurythmics. Now you might know this one, uh, the famous Annie Lennox line, Would I lie to you? And the answer is, yes, she would. Uh, then you've got Fleetwood Mac, uh, Tell Me Lies, Tell Me Sweet Little Lies. And uh, interestingly, right at the end of the song, she changes her mind and says, no, please don't do that. Then we've got Depeche Mode in the 90s, a famous song called The Policy of Truth. And in it is this famous line that says, you say you'll never lie again. You might have just lied. And then we have Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Uh, Terrible band, in my opinion, but uh, this famous hit single called I'd Lie for You, and that's the truth. Wow. All that to say that in all of these songs, there was a common thread. The common thread is that lying is common, but lying is bad, particularly if you have been on the receiving end. Listen to this comment. Have you ever been impaled by the shaft of a lying tongue? It hits you like a missile flying from the night and lodges deep within your being. It's almost impossible to remove as every movement shoots pain through your soul. Well, the Bible says that about lying. It speaks to this particular issue. In other spaces, not only in this commandment, but for example, in Proverbs 12, verse 18, we read this. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Loose words, reckless words pierce. Jeremiah 9, verse 8. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His Delight. Now, the irony of this modern view, the irony of these hit artists who've written these songs lamenting the pain and the danger of being lied to is that these very same people, the same people that have a problem with lying are the same people who embrace a relative ideology. They are the same people who would say there is no such thing as absolute truth. How can you say there is absolute truth? And so they would embrace what's called a relative ideology. They would be quick to dismiss the Bible. They would be fast to say the Bible is outdated or archaic or fundamentalistic. And therefore, they would embrace a more Kantian, Immanuel Kant philosophy in which they would say, well, there's no way you could ever know objective truth. There's no way to know. And so to quote creft, we would say this, all one could ever do is impose one's personal, subjective, mental categories onto reality. So there's, a, there's an insight here. There, there is a reality, but we have no way of knowing it. All that we ever deal with is our own subjective experiences, and so there's no way they would say to know objective truth. Or in other words, what they're saying is truth is relative. These same artists, these same social commentaries, these same worldly secular value systems, the same worldview will say, no, truth is relative, but don't you dare lie to me. Now, do you see the irony? Do you see the, the problem? The problem is if you're going to hold to truth is relative, then you've got your truth and you've got my truth. Just think about it in terms of justice. Imagine actually what people should do then. If, if truth is relative, when someone stands up in the law court and they have to give a sworn testimony, this is what they should say. I swear to tell my truth, my whole truth, and nothing but my truth. So help me God. That would be an honest confession of someone who buys into the cultural view of relativism but this is not a good social justice system. As we've just heard from all of these pop singers, no, don't you dare lie to me because it's not right. Well, on what basis are you saying it's not right? So on the one hand, we have this weird ideology that truth is defined by the individual or the individual's experiences. But on the other hand, we hate to be lied to. Don't you dare deceive me. Don't falsely accuse me. Don't you dare lie. And here's the logical problem. The logical problem with wanting it both ways is that if we can't know truth, if there is no truth that we could objectively uh, receive, then how do we ever get to the bottom of things? How do we ever get truth? Let me put it to you this way. If all knowledge is just personal opinion, then lying and bearing false witness is of no consequence in the end. Think about it. If we lose truth, then who wins? I'll tell you who wins. The rich and the powerful. Because those are the only ones who can influence things their way. And then the problem we have is the powerless or the disenfranchised have no means of justice. There must be objective truth for there to be justice. Well, so what are we, what are we to make of this commandment with all of that kind of as an introduction? I just want to run through three uh, main important things that I think this commandment is teaching us. And the first one is this, God is the father of truth. And what I'm saying here is that the reason God is forbidding lying or bearing false witness is because it's destructive. It's destructive to individuals. It's destructive to families. It breaks down families. You lose a sense of trust. But also because it's rooted in his own nature. Because God himself is a truth teller. There is no lie within God at all. And this is a reflection of God's character. In fact, all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, are a reflection of God's nature and His character. And we are called to be like Him. And so He would say to us, be like me and don't lie. Hebrews 6 verse 18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. It's not possible. It's not in his nature. It's not in his character. It is impossible. It's one of those things that God cannot do. You know, we often talk about God can do everything. Well, this is the one thing that he can't do. And it's a good thing. He cannot lie. Titus 1 verse 2 says, God never lies. And then Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not man that he should lie. That's what men do. Or the son of man, that he should change his mind. He's not like humanity that keeps changing his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Well, he's faithful. If he says something, he will do it. Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? No, when God makes a promise, when God speaks, it is truth and it is faithful. It is coming to pass. Whatever he says and whatever he promises, he will fulfill. So the first thing we see here is it's part of the nature and character of God. God is the father of truth. The second point is this. Satan is the father of lies. We know that lying is central then to the nature and the character of Satan. The devil himself is the father of lies. John 8 verse 44, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, in no uncertain terms, and he really just cuts to the chase, and he says this to the religious Jewish leaders of the day. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. You hear that? Nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, this is his his currency. His currency is lies. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so lying is the fruit from Satan's nature. Now that should give us a a wake-up call in and of itself. Notice it says... He is a liar. It's part of his nature. And so if we are to be like God and not lie, then when we do lie, who are we being like? We are being like the devil. We are being like him, which is what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees. He's saying, no, you're just like your father. Who's their father? He's saying, no, you, you, you think Abraham's your father, but no, no, your, your father is the devil. Why? Because you're a liar. You're you're spreading lies. You're bearing false testimony. You are breeding false witnesses. And so this is a, a harsh rebuke. And I hope that we feel it too, because this is the importance of this prohibition, this commandment. Do not lie. Because when we do lie, we are bearing the image of Satan In bearing false witness. This is how the devil works. It was his first plot. It was how he plunged humanity into the fall, into sin. When he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he he deceived them to disobey God. He questioned God. He questioned God and he twisted God's word. And by doing that, he planted seeds of doubt into the minds of Adam and Eve. He, he gave them alternative ideas, alternative options about the goodness of God's way, and they began to question and began to follow these alternative options. Now, at this point, I want to quote to you as we transition into our third and final point, Dallas Willard on this particular point. He says this, Ideas and images are the primary focus of Satan's efforts to defeat God's purposes with and for humankind. When we are subject to his chosen ideas and images, he can take a nap or a holiday. Thus, when he undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was with the idea That God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. That brings me to our third point. Soft power, the father of spin. Now when I talk about soft power, I'm going to explain this. But essentially, it's synonymous with lying with deceiving, being cunning, being deceitful. You see, after World War II, there was a significant shift that took place in the world. It's not that it was not there before, it was there, but the kind of emphasis of the culture took a a particular shift. And part of that shift was After World War II, the way that we're going to influence masses, the way that we're going to control nations of people, masses of people, the most effective approach was no longer what they called hard power. Now, hard power in the past would have been military might or military force, where we influence and control people through the sheer force of power, weaponry, guns and bombs and the threat of war. That's how we're going to intimidate people. That's how we're going to manipulate people was through hard power. But that no longer was effective because of the rise of the people against violence. And so the strategy changed from hard power to soft power, to images and ideas. No longer were people going to be influenced or controlled through military might, but people are going to be influenced and controlled through ideas and images. And the production, the the kind of multiplied effect of the production of ideas and images flooded the public space. And with the advance of technology and Internet and the information age came this flooding of the public space with multiple images and multiple ideas and new ways of purchasing habits and consumerism, And this wave of power and influence came over the nations. And with it came what is now called fake news or disinformation or simply lying. Uh, Things like white lies became a political agenda or a political strategy that we we will get behind our opposition by sowing seeds of lies and propaganda against people, And uh, there was a a rise of individualism that the individual uh, can shape his own truth, as we've already alluded to. Um, and together with all of that Photoshopping of images, now, is this really an, an accurate image? Is this a real photo or is this a Photoshop photo? I mean, you, you've you seen them all, haven't you? you? You know, people just want to share these things on Facebook, but some of them are just so obviously Photoshop. But people fall for it because there's fake news, there's fake photos, there's fake-looking people. There's, there's all sorts of soft power that is shaping people's hearts and minds and we fall prey to it so easily now here's here's the danger the danger is that we begin to perpetuate these soft power lies and you might be thinking well how do we do that well very subtly through a couple of things through flattery flattery is a form of lying of bearing false witness you know, maybe we would say something to someone's face that we would never say behind their back. You know, we, we, we make them feel really good about themselves and actually we're just making ourselves look good in the particular situation. Exaggeration would be another one. Exaggerating your efforts or exaggerating your success or exaggerating uh, your own achievements more than what they actually are. Well, that's basic lies. It's using soft power to look good or to get approval from people. Another one would be slander and gossip. You know, the old version was obvious to detect and pick up, but you know, the modern day version is a little more subtle, a little bit more uh, sneaky. You know, we would be the, it would be the sharing of unnecessary information that may or may not be true about someone. You know, you don't need to share it, but you do share it. Um, I think at this point we need to note that, that gossip and slander and lying in Romans 1 and in 1 Timothy 1 are alongside the same sins of murder and homosexuality. And so these are not trivial issues. These are things that soft power has latched onto and is leveraging to the destruction of families and communities. The last one would be assumptions. Yes, Assumptions. And we fall so easily for this as a, as a, as a people today. Why? Because we are, we are wired to tell stories. We are a storytelling people. And we, we, we almost do this automatically. We are such um, products of our culture because we see the world around us in stories. And then we, we inform, we, we create images, mental images of what's going on. So we might not have information But we fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps because we start to tell a story. And in telling the story, we jump to the wrong conclusions. We don't have information, but we fill in the gaps and we come to the wrong conclusions. Let me give you an example. Consider what goes on in your mind when you've agreed with a friend to meet for dinner. And so you're at the restaurant, you're at the table, you've got your glass of water, and you're waiting for your friend to arrive. 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass, 40 minutes pass. This, this friend, this so-called friend, already I'm filling in the gaps. This so-called friend is 40 minutes late. How, how? I mean, obviously this relationship must mean nothing to this person. And so you begin to assume and you begin to fill in the gap. You begin to tell a story. And there's two ways you could look at it. You could begin to assume that, you know, obviously, I've invested more in this friendship than them. How dare they be late? You know, obviously, I'm, I'm much more of a committed person. This person's not committed. Or you could tell another story. And the other story you could say is maybe there was an emergency. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe something serious has happened. And so before you start undermining their character or making yourself look better, you, you tell a different story. The point is you could do two different stories and come to two different assumptions. You see, our feelings are closely related to the stories that we tell ourselves. And we must be extremely careful that we don't form false ideas or white lies or wrong assumptions. And in so doing, we start to bear false witness. We could be false witnesses against our neighbors, against our friends, against people in the church where we begin to make up assumptions about people. You know, there's, there's a danger of this in church, you know, where, where you come to church and someone doesn't greet you and you think they're not greeting you because, you know, they've got something against you. Meanwhile, they just didn't really see you or they were preoccupied with some other important thing going on in their life. We need a guard against this. Let me read a, a great quote from a, from a Christian psychologist. He says this, every time I make an assumption about someone without confirming it, I am at risk for believing a lie about this person. My assumption is just a breath away from misrepresenting reality. Because I have not checked out my assumption with the other person, it is very possible I am believing something untrue and effectively bearing false witness against my neighbor. I am especially prone to this temptation when the other person has hurt or disappointed me. That also makes it more likely I will pass on my assumption, my false assumption to others. And when we exchange reality for a mental creation, a hidden assumption, we enter a counterfeit world. At that point, we exclude God from our lives because God does not exist outside of reality and truth. We also wreck relationships by creating needless confusion and conflict. Wow. So we really need to guard against these more subtle forms of bearing false witness or basic lies or basic gossip and slander of other people. This is a real important commandment on all of these levels. And we need to hold fast to truth. And so in closing, I want us to look at Ephesians four verse 25 where Paul writes and he says this, therefore as Christians, he says, therefore having put away falsehood, bearing false witness, gossiping slander assumptions he's 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 saying that as Christians we've put that away that's part of your old life that's part of your former way of life that's that's not becoming of Christian behavior he says having put away falsehood lying cheating deceiving he then says let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another you see paul's not and god is not only happy for us to put off lying and to be uh, embrace the negative aspect of this commandment you know don't lie yes don't do that but it goes more than that it's like hey don't just put it off but actually speak the truth that's what he says put away falsehood but speak the truth that's what this command is getting at it's it's a certain behavior that we put off but then there's another behavior that we put on, and that is truthfulness, that we embrace objective truth and that we be truth tellers, not just assumption storytellers, but truth tellers, that we speak the truth with our neighbor. Notice there, with our neighbor. That's with our Christian brothers as well as our non Christian neighbors. And so, really, we need to look to Jesus. And in this moment, as we look to Jesus, we see that, wow, Jesus not only met all the demands of the law of God, but he was the perfect example. And in being the perfect example, we realize that Jesus never once broke any of these commandments. Even these nuanced versions, these kind of soft power versions, Jesus never slandered anyone. Jesus never gossiped. Jesus never Bore false witness. Jesus never lied. Listen to me. Not even once. The Bible tells us Jesus was without sin. He was a spotless lamb. Now think about that. Not only did he not do that, but on the positive side, he then also only ever spoke truth. So not only did he not lie... But everything he ever said, every word that proceeded from Jesus' mouth was absolutely perfect and absolutely true. You might be thinking, wow, that's, that's a lot to comprehend. Well, have a look at this verse, Matthew 26, verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Wow. I mean this is a, a very public figure. Jesus of Nazareth. R- walking the streets. Very tangible. Uh, historical figure. And lots of people witnessing. Everything he's ever said. Everything he's ever done. He, he, he wasn't some kind of hideaway prophet. No he was public. In the streets, in the marketplaces, in the synagogues, in and around people, and not one false testimony. They found none. If ever there was anyone who deserved to receive honor and praise and privilege, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did he receive? Well, we know he received slander, he was hated. They gossiped against him. Right here in this verse, we have people seeking, religious leaders seeking to put him to death by bringing false testimony against him. And so we've got gossip and slander and hatred pouring out upon Jesus Christ, the only one who never deserved it. We've even got silence where people should have spoken up. But there is silence. And he did all of that for us. For our sake, church, there is no better example. There is no one else who could fulfill these commandments. And so as we endeavor to obey these commandments, we don't look within ourselves. We don't gonna kind of dig deep within ourselves. No, we look up to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater example and there is no better Savior. And so we look to him and we tell others about him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this day. Thank you that as we go through these Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, we are again reminded of the relevance of your word, how it was written so long ago. This ancient document, this ancient text called the Bible, is so relevant. We look at the world around us, we look at social media, we look at news channels, even news channels have caved and given in to propaganda. The so-called journalists who are meant to be objective are caving in to soft power politics. We look at presidents and nations and governments who've just given in to this popularist agenda of soft power to twist and manipulate people. But, Lord, we thank you that we are, although we're in this world, we're not part of this world, that we are part of another kingdom, a kingdom that is ruled by a king who never lied, not even once. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we again come to you this day, and we hide ourselves in, we, in you, and we look to you. You are a glorious king. You are an infinitely greater king than any king that's ever lived. And we put our trust in you. You are our perfect example and our perfect savior. We thank you that you were hated and you were slandered and you were gossiped against. Not, not because you deserved it, but that, that's, what we should have, that's what we should have had. And Lord, you went to the cross for us to make a way. For us back to the father and so we trust in your work in your work your perfect obedience we trust in that in Jesus name we pray amen